On today's episode of District Divided, I recap the Detroit Lions game from last Sunday for our Washington football team. We then get into a basketball-heavy State of the Union. We talk about the NBA draft, and we even touch on some college basketball. We touch on Georgetown and Maryland with their seasons coming up. And we conclude with an interview with Ben Robinson, Cincinnati native and author of GrindingTheMocks.com, a website that aggregates NFL mock drafts and lets you know at what pick a player is going. We talk about both the Cincinnati Bengals as well as the 2021 NFL draft and even a little bit about the 2022 NFL draft. Now kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. Even I was shocked at how the Washington football team managed to blow the game against the Detroit Lions last Sunday. I'd never seen anything like it. Even I thought we were above what occurred. We're going to get into that right now. Let's start from the beginning. Entering the game, we were the only team in the NFL with zero points on opening drives. That stat shocked me. I thought the Jets surely would be another team that had not scored on an opening drive. But here we are, the only team in the NFL entering this game that had not scored a single point on an opening drive. So we've been riding a QB carousel throughout the year, so it's expected to a degree. But a trend this long is surely on coaching as well, right? So let's get into that opening drive. It's second and three at the Detroit Lions 14-yard line, so we are looking good. Alex Smith is 2 for 2 for 41 yards at this point, and Antonio Gibson just had a hard-fought 7-yard run down the left side on first down. The offense, believe it or not, is humming. By anyone's standards, it is actually humming. And what do we do on 2nd and 3? We run a reverse. We run a reverse. We lose 10 yards. Next play is 3rd and 13 from the Detroit Lions 24-yard line. We get sacked and lose 14 yards. On 4th down and 27 from the Lions 38-yard line, we punt. From 2nd and 2 on the Lions 14-yard line to punting. Only we could pull that off. We were aware that this season was about player development. But it is not about coaching development. A reverse on second and three at the Detroit Lions 14-yard line when the offense, you're running a vanilla-style offense, is doing just fine. Why run a reverse? Very much a question for the coaching staff there. And that's the type of stuff that changes a game. So instead of going up 7-0, which we were on pace to do, or even 3-0, it's 0-0. And guess what? The Detroit Lions get the ball, and they score just five plays later on a deep shot to Marvin Hall. That makes it 7-0. Fast forward a bit. It's now 7-3, Detroit. It's third and 10 from our 27-yard line. The Detroit Lions have the ball, and Marvin Jones is wide open in the end zone and scores a 27-yard touchdown down the left side. It's a broken zone play. It's downright unacceptable. 
Now we're down 14-3. and three. Fast forwarding a bit more. We have a third and five from the Detroit 26-yard line with just over eight minutes to go in the second quarter. Alex Smith has time in the pocket. And J.D. McKissick runs a gorgeous route down the right sideline. And he is open by a full two steps en route to the end zone. And Smith just misses him. Overthrows him. McKissick doesn't have a chance. It was an easy touchdown for a player of Alex Smith's caliber. He's a veteran in the league. First start in a while, I understand that. And he's been through a lot and an amazing story. But you got to make that throw. You are more than capable of making that throw. Instead, we trot Dustin Hopkins out for a 43-yard field goal, now fourth and five. And he misses wide right. Unacceptable. What I just highlighted were three unacceptable moments, one from each phase of the game, coaching, offense, and defense. I didn't mention special teams. They actually did pretty well in this game. Danny Johnson had a nice kick return at one point, but we do get into special teams later on in this recap. We go down 24-3 after the Lions opening drive in the second half and actually show some mental toughness and we do fight back. We bring the score to 24-24. We tie it through touchdowns from J.D. McKissick and two more from Antonio Gibson. Running backs running the show there. The Lions kicked a field goal to make it 27-24 with two minutes and 37 seconds left on the clock. It is Alex Smith's time to shine. Believe it or not, despite all the mistakes we made earlier in the game, we are only down three with 2.37 to go. And this is how that drive went. First and 10, Logan Thomas is open, and Smith just overthrows him. Just missed him. Third and 13, Alex Smith throws a perfect ball to Terry McLaurin for a first down on what looked like a left corner route. So, you know, you're getting a mixed bag there. He misses a wide open Logan Thomas, but then he hits Terry McLaurin on a perfect route. Fast forward a bit, it's third and four. McLaurin's open on a crossing route, but Alex Smith throws low and behind. It's incomplete. Fourth and four now. Game on the line. It is another bad throw behind Terry McLaurin. The game is over. But wait, there's a flag. And we get absolutely bailed out by a phantom pass interference call on Desmond Trufant. I have no idea how we got the call, but we did. For whatever reason, the refs decided to give us another chance. So with that first and 10, what do we do? Smith missed J.D. McKissick. Incomplete. Second and 10. Alex Smith just gets rid of it after getting some pressure on him. Third and 10. I don't even know who Alex Smith was targeting on this play. Another incomplete pass in the dirt. But we do get a defensive holding call on Desmond Trufant. So it's an automatic first down. They tried to show the replay, but they didn't have the camera on Trufant, I guess. So you couldn't tell whether it was or wasn't a defensive holding. But it is what it is. We get the ball. First and 10. Miss J.D. McKissick now on a swing pass. That was something Dwayne Haskins was routinely doing, was missing that swing pass. That's more or less behind the line of scrimmage. Second and 10, the ball's batted down. Third and 10, a great ball to Cam Sims, who also did really well to hold on to it for a first down. Now, first and 10, we get a Jeff Batted sighting. He's double covered and Smith, against his character, launches it to him. Incomplete. Second and 10. McLaurin wins a crossing route for a first down. First and 10, Alex Smith throws it away. Second and 10, delay of game. Love to see that from a veteran quarterback. Second and 15, 
Steven Sims Jr. drops it. Third and 15, Steven Sims Jr. gets 10 yards, resulting in a fourth and five. This time, Hopkins hits a 41-yard field goal to tie the game at 27. Folks, Alex Smith at one point had eight straight incompletions during this drive. Game's on the line. That is unacceptable. So there's 16 seconds left, and we managed to make two devastating mistakes. 16 seconds left in a tied game. Two devastating mistakes. Special teams making devastating mistake number one. They kicked the ball on the kickoff out of the end zone. Now, why is that devastating? Because you want to take as much time off the clock as possible. Matt Stafford is known for these game-winning drives in miraculous-looking situations. So why not squib it to force more time off the clock? Instead, 16 seconds left, first and 10 from the Detroit 25. They get 10 yards in four seconds. Timeout number one. Detroit had all three timeouts entering this drive. Second and 10. Devastating mistake number two. Chase Young gets hit with a 15-yard roughing the passer penalty. People are debating the call. Some people call it soft. Some people say it isn't even a foul. To me, it was a penalty. He did not have to shove Matt Stafford, and it was late. Chase Young had a full two steps and then shoved him. The call was correct. You should never leave it up for debate because the call can go either way, and it happened to go against us. So now it's first and 10 from midfield with six seconds left. Marvin Jones gets nine yards in three seconds. Timeout number two for the Lions. With three seconds left, they trot out Matt Prater for a 59-yard field goal. And of course, he hits it. That was Detroit's first win at home at Ford Field this season. They won 30-27. to Too many mistakes to overcome. Too many mistakes to overcome, and the conclusion from this game, the first one and the worst one, our coaching staff sucked. Second and three on that opening drive, you run a reverse? I am still not over that. We want to see what we have on offense, on defense, on special teams, but you can't see shit when you run a second and three reverse. When your offense is humming. That is an indictment on Scott Turner. On Ron Rivera for even letting that happen. Ridiculous call. Ridiculous call. Come on. Number two. Alex Smith when the game was on the line. Was horrible. His final stat line. 38 of 55 for 390 yards. High yardage. That's great. He had 127 yards when the game was 24 to 3, so he picked up around 230 of those yards trailing. And then you give him another 30 on the final drive when the game was tied. We have another very good wide receiver. That's conclusion number three. Cam Sims needs to get the ball more. Great things happen whenever he touches the ball. Each time he got it, he was breaking a tackle. He did so on a fourth down earlier in the game. Breaks a tackle, has a spin move on another guy. The dude just needs to get the ball on that final drive highlighted at third and 10 where Alex Smith admittedly threw a great ball. It was a great ball. And Cam Sims did well to hold on and it was enough for a first down. We need to get the ball more to Cam Sims. I do believe he's the number two wide receiver on this team and can be moving forward. Number four, Chase Young is a rookie. He made a mistake. And it obviously was costly. 
but he is not the reason we lost this game. Again, we got a phantom pass interference call on a fourth and four that would have ended the game. We had no right being in it. We had no right being in it. The Lions inexplicably went to this incredibly soft zone coverage, allowing Alex Smith to get all the yards, allowing us to score three touchdowns. The Detroit Lions are not a good team. That's why they are where they are. That's why they have the reputation for blowing games and then Matt Stafford coming back and winning it for them. They're not good. Chase Young is going to make mistakes here and there, but what is most important for his development is the coaching staff and making sure that he minimizes those over time because he is a dominant player. He's got all the talent in the world, and I fully expect him to be this all-pro caliber player that we're all expecting. He will be. Again, it comes down to coaching, though. And coaching was the really, really disappointing thing in this game. Now, they have an opportunity to bounce back against the Cincinnati Bengals, and I want the coaching staff to put it on themselves and say, hey, we are not going to be running these little gadget plays. We are just going to run the offense that looks to be working at the time because the offense was doing just fine without that reverse. And I'm curious to see how the coaching staff handles situations like that moving forward. And that's enough of that game. That concludes the recap against the Detroit Lions. And we're moving on to the State of the Union. Ooh, that was a doozy of a recap of that football game. Looking forward to talking about basketball here. Let's get into it. The NBA draft was on Wednesday, and the Washington Wizards had picks 9 and 37. With pick 9, they took Denny Avdia, 6'9", small forward from Israel. He played for Maccabi Tel Aviv and was a two-time gold medalist playing in the FIBA U-20 European Championships. He won those with Israel. He was MVP of the tournament the second time around. Known for his high basketball IQ and his agility getting up and down the floor, this kid's a playmaker. Very much looking forward to having him here in the District of Columbia. He can do it all, but there's certainly room for improvement. During his time with Maccabi Tel Aviv as a pro, he shot 60% from the free throw line. That is not good. And 32% from three. That being said, again, he's a hardworking kid. He's very good defensively, and he's a playmaker. What's not to love? He's going to get better and better and better. He was ESPN's number one ranked small forward. We'll see how he does. And then pick, not 37, but 53. And I'll get into what happened there, but the pick ended up being Cassius Winston, 6'1 point guard from Michigan State. He's one of the most decorated players Tom Izzo has ever coached. Two-time first-team All-Big Ten, Big Ten Player of the Year in 2019, and the only player unanimously named to the preseason All-American team entering last year's college basketball season. A career highlight for him, he had 20 points and 10 assists, a double-double in a 68-67 victory in the Elite Eight over Duke, led by Zion Williamson, the phenom himself. And the game was played at Cap One Arena, so he's well familiar with his new home. Now, I said pick 53, but early on, and even in Wednesday's episode, I said we had pick 37. 
Well, we did originally have pick 37, but we traded it and Admiral Schofield to OKC for pick 53, which is Cassius Winston, and a 2024 second round pick. Now, I ran a poll on Twitter asking all of you what grade you would give the Wizards for their draft. 17 responses. 100% of you said A. We loved our draft, and you love to see it. Tommy Shepard, well done. Let's hope these two develop into quality players for this organization. And speaking of this organization, one more time, free agency starts today. Once again, the priority is to keep Davis Bertans. We have a little bit of money outside of that as well, outside of keeping Bertans, which we hope to do. So we'll see what happens there. College basketball is back. The Georgetown Hoyas have their first game Wednesday at 4 p.m. against UMBC. And the Terps of Maryland have their first game Wednesday at 2 p.m. against Old Dominion. And then Maryland football. Last week's game versus Ohio State was canceled due to a COVID outbreak within Maryland football, and that hasn't gone anywhere. The game this Saturday versus Michigan State has also been canceled for the same reason. Outbreak ongoing in Maryland football. That is going to conclude the State of the Union. And now we get into the interview with friend of the show, Ben Robinson, to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Back on District Divided once again is Benjamin Robinson, Cincinnati, born and raised an author of GrindingTheMocks.com. He's here to talk to us about the Cincinnati Bengals or Burroughs, whichever you prefer. Ben, how are you doing today? Doing well. As long as you're not calling them the Bungles, that's cool with me. All right. Well, then we're off to a good start in that yeah. case. And so we said Bengals. We said Burroughs. Let's talk about the guy, Joe Burrow. How is it going with him and the Bengals so far this season at 2-6-1? and one? Well, you know, I'm, last year, I mean, they're, they're kind of tracking in terms of performance with last year. And, you know, for as far as Joe Burrow, I'd say that, you know, expectations were pretty high for, like, maybe the average fan. But I think that we had to have kind of a level set given how the offseason played out this year with you know, very little preparation when it came to the preseason. Um, and so Joe, I think, has really just been tossed into the fire right away in terms of the NFL game. And he's been, you know, up and down. Uh, but to me, you can see the lights turning on. You can see development. Uh, and so my hope is just that he survives this year, has learned a lot. Uh, and that the team is in a position to be better next year. Um, you know, overall, they're better on defense than they were last year, but it's still not saying a lot. So to me, it's all about improvement from last year, and there's definitely been some bright spots, and Joe Burrow is the main one. Okay, cool. So you think Joe Burrow's been the bright spot? The defense has improved a little bit, maybe not as much as one would hope. So at this point in the season, what grade would you give your Cincinnati Bengals in terms of their overall performance, Ben? I'd say probably a C or a D. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries. I mean, in the most important areas outside of quarterback, the offensive line has been, you know, had to reshuffle a bunch of different times due to injury. The defensive line has been, uh, had similar problems. The defensive secondary, um, Joe Mixon, their kind of overly paid running back. Um, so there's been just a lot of injuries this year. But to me, you know, like I said, I kind of don't care as much about the results on the field right now, even though that's like kind of opposite of what Joe Burrow has has said. He said he only cares about the wins and losses. To me, this year is all about where do we see development? 
Where do we see improvement? Um, and it's definitely been there, but the injuries have just, you know, when I look at some of the names on the roster, and I, I like to think I follow the team a little bit, I just sometimes don't recognize some of these guys that are playing um, on the in the defensive secondary for sure and on the defensive line. But um, the offensive line was a problem last year. Um, they addressed it a little bit in the offseason. Uh, but to me, you know, yeah, there's just so many injuries and it's made it tough for them to stay consistent. So you've seen lots of performances kind of up and down from both the offensive units and the defensive units throughout the season. Yeah, well, another guy they also hit on now, there may be plenty of people you don't recognize, but one guy to recognize, especially this season, T. Higgins. I mean, he's had a breakout campaign alongside Tyler Boyd, who's doing very well as Joe Burrow's security blanket. What are your thoughts on T. Higgins as a receiver? Oh, man, you know, uh, T. Higgins, I think, has been a bit of a revelation um, for this Cincinnati Bengals team. Um, A.J. Green, you know, he, he's aging. You know, him and Julio Jones were drafted in the same year, and they're both kind of hobbled with age and, and injuries. So, you know, it's been really refreshing to see a kind of young uh, and athletic player at wide receiver, especially with um, how kind of subpar A.J.'s been playing this year. It's been tough to see just because you know how good he used to be, and you can just see that the last few years have been lost to injury, and the team is kind of beginning to the process of moving away from the John Ross experiment, who was the you know pick right before Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 draft. So um, it's refreshing to see them pair Joe Burrow with a nice up-and-coming offensive weapon. Um, and to me, I didn't necessarily expect a lot this year, um, so it's really good to see that um, he had a really good profile in terms of what people look at in analytics point of view um, in terms of breakout age in college, which basically just says, when do you start being an important part of your college offense based on your age? And the, the ones that do that sooner in college tend to be able to translate their game to the NFL a lot better. So it's nice to see that bearing out with T Higgins and him and Joe Burrow seem to be uh, catching on real nice. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know that about the the age. Can you get more into that for a moment? I know we have other stuff to talk about, but you said at a certain age that can sort of predict NFL performance, if I heard that correctly? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of like kind of uh, analytics-based metrics in terms of trying to, how do we think about projecting college performance to professional performance? And it's hard because there's a lot more context that you need to, do, to kind of take into account. Um, when you're looking at college performance, because there's such a huge difference in terms of the strength of teams in college. So, you know, Clemson is beating up on teams and T Higgins is, is kind of an example where when you come in from, uh, from high school, um, you're an 18 year old playing against probably a lot of people who are older than you. And it's going to be the same deal when you get to the NFL. And so if you can stand up to the level of competition more quickly and be an important factor in your offense, that's something that um, data has shown it can be a, a nice factor in terms of predicting uh, potential success at the next level. I mean, these are some things that people who follow um, kind of dynasty uh, fantasy football type of stuff are really into when they look at how to think about uh, drafting players in their uh, you know uh, dynasty drafts, for example. But something that teams look at as well in terms of predicting position, especially at skill player positions. That's really cool. I hadn't actually thought about, you know, how soon or how early in, in one's life do you break out in college and how that predicts NFL performance potentially. That's really cool. But now, so we've talked about T. Higgins a bit, Tyler Boyd, of course, the overpaid running back, uh, your words, Joe Mixon, 
and of course is Burrow. Who are the players that we need to look out for? We being the Washington football team need to look out for this Sunday, both on offense and on defense. So, you know, you, you took T Higgins from me. Um, so um, in terms of players on offense, I mean, it's a little bit rough. And you mentioned Tyler Boyd, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Tyler Boyd fan. We both went to the university of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, he signed a, a contract last year. He's been really solid for this team. You know, there's been, it's been hard to say just because T Higgins has kind of been the one player that you didn't expect to kind of uh, have an impact who has. Um, and so um, on the offensive line, I'd say a guy like Trey Hopkins who plays center for the Bengals has been the most consistent player just because he hasn't been injured and he's played at kind of an average to above average level in terms of the like importance of, of protecting Joe Burrow and, and making paths in the run game. Uh, but to me, the most uh, impressive player overall, just entirely on the Bengals team is Jesse Bates. Um, who's our, our safety, one of our safeties. Uh, I think he's playing at kind of a pro bowl caliber level. Um, and so He's been, uh, you know, definitely all around the ball. He's, I think, been kind of the savior of this team in terms of the defensive secondary, given all the injuries that they've had. So Jesse Bates is a guy to watch out for on defense. And then Carl Lawson, who's uh, basically the only person on the Bengals getting consistent pass rush this year. So those are two bright spots on defense for the Bengals. But yeah, on offense, it's the Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd show, uh, because the offensive line has been just a turnstile. Joe Mixon has been inconsistent and injured. So uh, those are the guys that have been kind of the, to me, the, the players that have been most important to the Bengals, you know, somewhat success in terms of development this year. Okay. So there are a number of names to look out for there. Jesse Bates playing at a Pro Bowl level at safety. Very neat. Very much looking forward to seeing him play on Sunday. Hopefully Alex Smith can get the best of him. And speaking of Alex Smith and just QBs overall, I'm sure you've been following the carousel here in the nation's capital. Dwayne Haskins initially starts the year, but then gets benched for performance reasons. Then all of a sudden, Kyle Allen comes in. He actually plays all right, plays pretty good, in my opinion. And all of a sudden, you know, he's out, he gets hurt. And now we're back to Alex Smith. Amazing comeback story, amazing feel-good story. But overall, the quarterback play has been bad. And on top of that, we are favored over your Cincinnati Bengals right now by one and a half points. What are your thoughts on that line with Washington being favored over Cincinnati? You know, I think it's really fair. Um, so, you know, when we want to look and compare, you know, teams, uh, you know, team strength, you kind of look at kind of the power rankings. And so, you know, I really like ESPN's football power index um, and they have Washington slightly better than Cincinnati versus an average opponent on a neutral field. They're like ranked 25th and the Bengals are ranked 27th. So they're pretty even in terms of team strength. So the one and a half point line means that, you know, they're going to kind of uh, give Washington the advantage for being at home. So that adds up to me. I'm not, I'm not offended at all. The Bengals haven't deserved, haven't earned the right to be disrespected yet, really. So, um, so yeah, that, that makes sense. And like, I'm a data guy. So when I see a line, you know, in terms of football, most of those tend to make some sense. Uh, but yeah, so to me, it makes, it makes total sense. I'm not offended by the fact that Washington is slightly favored. Um, even though I, I like the Bengals to win this one, but um, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, well, you know, you talk about earning the right to be disrespected. Washington has more than earned the right to be disrespected. So I'm very confused by this one and a half point line, especially because we really don't have a lot of faith in quarterback play right now. Once again, Alex Smith, feel good story. But outside of that, uh, looked a bit shaky in that Detroit game, despite throwing for many, many yards. So talking about the quarterback, I had you on 
you know, before the draft last year, we talked about Tua. We talked a bit about Herbert. You know, we talked a bit about Burrow, of course. And we took Chase Young, and I think you and I both knew that was going to happen for the Washington football team. But here we are. As of right now, we have picked three in the draft. And it seems like quarterback is going to be in play for this team once again. Ben, who are a couple quarterbacks we should be looking out for, given our likely draft position? So, yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on what pick that Washington ends up with. Um, and so, you know, the looking at this week, ESPN, the, the Football Power Index folks, published some odds on where they think teams are going to end up at the end of the year in terms of their their simulations. And their simulations said that Washington has about a 50% chance of being a top five pick with about a 2% chance of being the top overall pick. So if you're in the top five, it means that you have a chance at selecting two of the, the top quarterback prospects in this coming draft. And those two uh, who have been connected pretty much their entire prep and uh, college careers are Trevor Lawrence of Clemson and Justin Fields of Ohio State. So they're both from Georgia. They both were um, in the Elite 11 quarterback camp finals. So these are kind of top level prospects that it wouldn't surprise me if they went one and two or maybe even, you know, one in the top three. So you're going to need to be in like the top three potentially uh, to get a chance at those two guys. And those two, I think, are kind of in terms of top prospects, some of the best in terms of the top end of the draft in, in terms of quarterbacks that we've seen in a while. Um, so those are the top two guys. Uh, but then, you know, there's a couple more that have kind of been coming on as of late. So um, one is kind of based off of hype from last year because he really hasn't had a chance to play much this year. And that's Trey Lance from North Dakota State, you know, kind of following the, the Carson Wentz, uh, you know, path there a little bit. Um, where he had a fantastic season last year leading uh, NDSU to a national championship in their division. So, you know, really, really well regarded. Just didn't get a play this year because of the pandemic. They had a, a kind of show game, like almost an exhibition game against Central Arkansas. And that's it. He declared for the draft. Um, and then another guy that's been gaining steam as of late is Brigham Young University quarterback, Zach Wilson. So, um, those are the kind of the top four quarterbacks, I think, for the most part. Um, there's going to be some chance for, uh, you know, Zach Wilson to play more games, whereas Trey Lance doesn't. But those are the top four ones that I'm seeing in terms of prospect circles, as well as some of the data that I've been collecting when it comes to mock drafts. Very cool. Thank you for the insight there. Now, of course, you know, the Jets, no one's catching them for that number one pick. I sincerely believe they are going to go winless Earlier this season, I thought they had a shot at beating Miami. Now Miami looks like one of the best teams in the NFL with that defense and the special teams playing at an elite level. So Trevor Lawrence to the Jets, book it now, honestly. And then Jacksonville, as of right now, would have picked two. I'd imagine they would go ahead and take Justin Fields. So if you're, let's say like me, last year I was very much sold on Tua. I think we should have taken Tua. But this year, let's say I'm not sold on a guy like Trey Lance or Zach Wilson, and we have pick five or six, let's say. Do you think it's still worth taking one of those guys and rolling the dice? Or do you have some insight on the 2022 quarterback draft class? And maybe it's worth waiting one more year, maybe picking up an offensive lineman that could really help out that quarterback being drafted next year in 2022 for the Washington football team. It's a tough question. You know, when we talked last time about Tua, you know, obviously we're not inside the organization and they had you know, real 
confidence in in Dwayne Haskins, but they they gave him a shot this year to play, and I really think they deserve some credit for basically saying, you know, we've seen we've seen enough. He really played kind of it wasn't even mediocre. It was really like one of the worst quarterback um, quarterbacking in the league. So I, I I give them credit for deciding that it's time to move on. And so you know, last year you can make a defense that you know, hey, we want to give Dwayne Haskins another shot. Um, and Trey, I mean, Chase Chase Young is this kind of player who we believe is one of the best at his position in quite some time. Um, so to me, I'm of the fan, I'm of the belief that basically if you're picking in the top five, you know, you might not necessarily be there again next year. So you could should take advantage of it when you possibly can. So to me, I don't think that Washington should wait another year. Um, and also, you know, we don't know a lot about who the best quarterbacks are for next year. I mean, we knew coming into this year that Trevor Lawrence was going to be kind of a guy that, you know, we've thought about for years. And just and Justin Fields really came on strong last year. So we really had an idea that these were two kind of elite level prospects. For next year, I don't think we have as kind of a strong, you know, name brands for some of these guys. Um, so 2020, this 2021 class seems really, really top heavy. The 2022 class, not as much. Um, and so, you know, names that you're kind of hearing quite a bit for, you know, the next next class is like Sam Howell from North Carolina, maybe like Keaton Slovis from Southern California. Like these are not names that like when I hear them, I'm like, damn, like I need that guy. Um, so, you know, Howell, I think is going to be quite highly regarded, even if he's coming from a program like North Carolina. So for me at this point, I think you got it as quarterback or bust um, or trade down. Um, it's got to be, I think, one of those. If you're not comfortable with the quarterback, you know you could draft a player like Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon, who's kind of considered probably one of the best offensive tackle prospects in years. So there's a lot of options, but I think if they have a quarterback that they like up there, um, they should draft them or trade down. I think anything else would kind of be, you know, I think a disservice. Um, although they do need help in a lot of positions, you know, I think when we talked last year. You know, earlier this year, it feels like last year, earlier this year, you know, we said, I said at least that I thought that well, Dwayne Haskins needed more help. Um, they needed offensive line help, which they didn't do that much. And they needed more wide receiver help. And they really didn't do that as well. They drafted Chase Young and Antonio Gibson with their top picks. And so to me, I'm not surprised that they are where they are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think they deserve some credit. Um, you know, a team like the New York Giants is going to have a similar kind of situation where they're probably going to be picking in the top 10 uh, with an opportunity to draft a quarterback. Um, Washington has kind of already signaled that they're willing to move on. Um, and so that's why we have Alex Smith being the, you know, I'm going to throw to running backs a lot, not throw down the field. Um, so I think there's there's quite a bit to be said about what Washington can do. I think that waiting another year is probably not in their best interest. Do you think it would be unfair of me to rule out Sam Howell as a potential quarterback for the Washington football team, given my absolute hatred for Mitch Trubisky out of UNC? <laughs> um, I mean, so Mitch Trubisky just had one year of performance that was inflated by kind of his efficiency. His efficiency numbers were quite inflated, I think, when you look at the data, like a much closer with context. Sam Howell started as a freshman last year. So um, next year will he have been three years as a starter. And if he continues to play at the kind of high level that he does, um, then he has kind of more of like a Baker Mayfield case to be uh, kind of a, a chance. I think he's in the Heisman discussion for next year, for sure. So to me, Sam Howell's 
I take I think his his uh, prospect background is much better than Trubisky's, and that's not just with I think uh, kind of looking back on it with 2020 hindsight. Thank goodness, that's a relief. That's really good to know. And who knows? I mean, in regard to next year's draft class, you could have a Joey Burrow situation, who's a guy who just sort of comes up out of nowhere and all of a sudden is round one pick one. So you never know with these things, but it's good to have that insight for what we do know as of right now. Now, before I let you go, Ben, and thanks so much once again, Ben Robinson, author of GrindingTheMocks.com. He's beginning to break down that mock draft data for this upcoming draft. We still got a final prediction we need from you for this game. Who do you like and what is your final score for the Bengals football team game this Sunday? (laughs) That's a mouthful. So yeah, I think that the power rankings are kind of under underrating the Bengals. I think that they are a bit better than their, their, you know, for example, the football power index thinks they are. Um, And so uh, I think that they're a much more functional team on offense than like, for example, the lions were this past week. So I have a Bengals win 30, 24. Um, I I think that the Bengals defense will, will find a way to uh, stop the downfield passing attack and Joey Burrow will do enough to win and uh, it'll be relatively close, but, uh, but I think it's, it's a, I think it'll be a Bengals victory potentially. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. (laughs) This is the, (laughs) this is the stretch of the year where the Bengals schedule starts to open up. You know, they play Washington this week, they play the giants next week. So you'll get to see Joe Burrow feasting on the, the, the level of competition that he's had some success with so far this year. Yeah, I mean, hey, the Bengals, again, 2-6-1, and one, but one of those wins was against a very good Tennessee Titans team, so don't sleep on these guys. Do you think, though, that, you know, in the game against Tennessee, Burrow didn't get sacked once. That was the first time all year. Are you concerned about Washington's D-line? It is full of first-round picks there. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, the Bengals have been operating quite a bit out of some of the things that Burrow did in college, in, particularly an, all, an empty backfield, so just kind of spreading out the field, having a lot of wide receivers, running routes, quick passing game. I wouldn't be surprised to see quite a lot of that um, to combat the likes of, you know, Montez Sweat and, and Chase Young and Ryan Kerrigan. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a concern. Um, you know, the, the Bengals running game, I think, will be kind of probably something that they do a little of, but not well. And Burrow will have to take the team on his shoulders if they're going to win. Okay. You heard it here first then. 30-24 to 24 Cincinnati, according to... Cincinnati born and raised product, Benjamin Robinson, once again, author of grindingthemocks.com. Definitely check it out. Very cool to see where certain players are going in mock drafts, and then you can compare it to the actual draft when that happens. It's early on. Ben, how many mock drafts do you have so far? I think I've done about 150, I think. Jeez, man. Um, You know, when you can scrape stuff, things are pretty efficient. So I have uh, have infrastructure to help make things go a little bit faster, but... um, it's still early on, and so you know everything is very much up in the air. But uh, but yeah, thanks for having me on again. This is my favorite DC sports podcast. You're the best. Oh, much appreciated. It's a very niche market, but we'll take anything we can yeah. get. Thanks so much, Ben. <laughs> really appreciate your time today. Once again, that was Ben Robinson, Cincinnati native and author of GrindingTheMocks.com, a website that shows you where potential draftees are going to go in the draft, specifically what pick number. It's a very cool website. I've messed around with it a bunch, and you should too. Our team stinks. Grindingthemocks.com. Go check it out. Go figure out who we're going to draft next because we're not good. We're not only playing against the other team, we're playing against our own coaching staff apparently. So one and a half point favorites over the Cincinnati Bengals. Here's my pick. 
the Cincinnati Bengals. I've got them winning 27 to 21 until the coaching staff proves that they are actually coaching our team to get better. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. This is District Divided. I'm your host, Amit Singh. If you like the podcast, please follow it on Twitter and Instagram at District Divided. And there is a Facebook page and group called District Divided. Please like and join respectively. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy NBA free agency. That's always a hell of a lot of fun. Again, the Wizards' priority, keeping Davis Bertans. We'll have a little bit of money outside of that if we do end up keeping him. So we'll see what happens, and I'll let you know what happens in next week's episode. But for now, kick back, relax, enjoy your Friday, enjoy your weekend, and enjoy Polly Polo. I spent my whole damn life in the city. Anywhere I go, DC's coming with me. I spent my whole damn life in the city. I can go for broke, but the capital is in me. I spent my whole damn life in the city.